Today is Thursday, April 29th, 2021, and it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm sitting in the car, so if you hear rain tippity-tapping on the windows, that's the reason. I apologize for the very long hiatus. I was not well for a while. I'm doing a little better now. Still trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with me. Maybe I'll find an herb that will help my condition overall, but we'll see. So I learned a few things about the history of herbal medicine in America while I was studying the medicinal uses of echinacea. I thought it was interesting, so I want to share some of that information with you before I dive into everything I learned about echinacea. First, I'm going to talk about the history of herbal medicine in America. Then I'm going to discuss body snatching and the bone bill of 1854. Just in case you don't know, body snatching is the practice of stealing bodies from graveyards. It was common in the 1700s and 1800s in America. This is a pretty dark topic that deals with racism and injustice, so if that's too much for you right now, you might want to skip this episode and just go to the next one where I discuss the medicinal benefits of echinacea in depth. Okay, let's get into it. The history of echinacea and America's scientific herbalists, the eclectics. Eclectic practitioners were medical doctors. They were American herbalists in the 1800s and 1900s who used a combination of methods to heal patients. Eclectic physicians experimented with herbs and were able to isolate and extract the active components of the herbs. Constantine Samuel Raffinesque was a botanist and professor who lived from 1784 to 1841. He studied how Native Americans used medicinal plants and he wrote about herbal medicine. The word eclectic is derived from the Greek word ekligo, which means to choose from. Raffinesque used the word eclectic to refer to physicians who would use whatever they could find that was beneficial to heal their patients. The eclectic medical movement was popular in the U.S. from 1850 to 1940. The two most important eclectic practitioners in the United States were John King and John Uri Lloyd. John King lived from 1813 to 1893 and John Uri Lloyd lived from 1849 to 1936. They both taught at the Eclectic Medical Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio. Eclectic medicine appeared as an extension of early American herbal medicine traditions. Standard medical practices at the time made extensive use of purges with calomel and other mercury-based remedies, as well as extensive bloodletting. Eclectic medicine was a direct reaction to those barbaric practices. The Eclectic Medical Institute in Worthington, Ohio graduated its first class in 1833, but local body snatching led to the notorious resurrection riot of 1839 and the school was evicted from Worthington. The school relocated to Cincinnati during the winter of 1842 to 1843. Before we get into the body snatching problem, Let's discuss how eclectics used echinacea to treat patients. 
Eclectic physicians relied heavily on medicinal plants that could be found locally in the U.S., such as echinacea and black cohosh. Eclectics prescribed echinacea for respiratory infections and skin conditions. Dr. H.C.F. Meyer was a patent medicine purveyor from Pawnee City, Nebraska, who promoted a remedy that he called an absolute cure for a bunch of things, including rattlesnake bites and blood poisoning. Dr. Meyer called the remedy Meyer blood purifier, and it had echinacea in it. In 1885, Dr. Meyer sent a sample of his blood purifier to John Uri Lloyd, who was a professor at the Eclectic Medical Institute in Cincinnati. Lloyd was also one of the first presidents of the American Pharmaceutical Association. Lloyd dismissed Dr. Meyer as a crackpot, mainly because Dr. Meyer was basically claiming to have found a cure-all. But Dr. Meyer was persistent. Dr. Meyer offered to let a rattlesnake bite him in front of Lloyd to prove that Meyer's blood purifier was an effective treatment for rattlesnake bites. Lloyd declined. Dr. Meyer then sent a sample of Meyer's blood purifier to Lloyd's colleague at the Eclectic Medical Institute, John King. John King was a botanical pharmacologist who taught doctors about podophyllin, which is a plant resin that is used to treat warts. In the 1850s, John King tested echinacea and found that it could be used to to successfully treat bee stings, nasal congestion, leg ulcers, and various infections. Eventually, Lloyd accepted that echinacea was useful for treating wounds, venomous bites and stings, blood poisoning, diphtheria, meningitis, measles, chickenpox, malaria, scarlet fever, influenza, syphilis, and gangrene. I don't think it was ever proven to cure rattlesnake bites, but it is a great medicinal herb. Lloyd started a pharmaceutical company with his brothers, and they also established the Lloyd Library, which houses the world's largest private collection of botanical information. The Lloyd Library also publishes a botanical journal, which used to be called Lloydia, but now it's called the Journal of Natural Products. The Lloyd Library is in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it is open to the public. The family business that Lloyd started with his brothers was called Lloyd Brothers Pharmacists. They developed several popular products using echinacea. Echinacea was very popular in the U.S. from the 1890s into the 1920s, but by the 1930s, echinacea and herbal medicine in general were becoming less popular in the United States. When modern antibiotics were developed, people started to favor laboratory-synthesized drugs over herbal medicines, which caused an even further decline in the use of echinacea. Okay, here's the trigger warning. I'm going to discuss body snatching and the resurrection riots that followed. The details are upsetting. The bodies of marginalized people were stolen from graves and sold to medical schools. People tried to fight back, but the powerful people got what they wanted in the end. There is a long history of the American medical community abusing, torturing, and exploiting black people. This is yet another sick example. This is from an article called Grave Robbing in the North and South in Antebellum America, which was written in 2016 by the American College of of surgeons. Let's get right into it. White medical schools used the bodies of blacks and the urban immigrant poor because they could. Edward Halperin at the University of Louisville said anatomical dissection served as a means for a ruling class to exert social control over the weak, the marginalized, and criminals. Dissection after death was a hideous act that served as a deterrent against both crime and poverty. The debates surrounding the bone bill
Hill revealed some of the prevailing attitudes toward poverty. If dissection did not drive the poor to support themselves during life, then their bodies could be used for dissection to further medical progress and repay their debt to society. Thus, dissection became a form of punishment, criminalizing poverty and institutionalizing racism. When the Medical College of Georgia opened in 1829, there was no legal supply of cadavers and the practice of dissection was illegal. At its third meeting in 1834, the faculty charged the dean and anatomy professor with the task of finding a resurrection man to supply bodies for dissection. In 1839, the school paid $100 for cadavers from New York. The anatomy professor had to go to Baltimore to procure cadavers in 1842. Records from the Medical College of Georgia from 1848 to 1852 show purchases of 64 bodies from a number of resurrectionists. The term refers to the ghoulish task of exhuming bodies from graves. In 1838, the English traveler, writer, early feminist and perceptive social observer Harriet Martineau said, In Baltimore, the bodies of colored people exclusively are taken for dissection because the whites do not like it and the colored people cannot resist. Blacks and the poor had little power to block the practice. Objections to the grave robbers' activities when they did arise were often the result of extreme provocation. Free blacks did object to the desecration of the Negroes' burying ground, but their 1780 petition to the New York City Council had no effect. Similarly, representatives of the Irish and German poor failed in their opposition to the Bone Bill of 1854. The Bone Bill of 1854 was formally called an act to promote medical science and protect burial grounds, but informally it was known as the Bone Bill. Its purpose was to greatly increase the number of cadavers available for legal dissection in medical schools. The Bone Bone bill was proposed by John William Draper, who was the co-founder and president of what is now the New York University School of Medicine. He noted a significant deficit in the number of cadavers available for dissection by medical students in his classes. Under previous state law, only executed criminals could be used. Draper proposed that all vagrants dying unclaimed and without friends are to be given to the institutions in which medicine and surgery are taught for dissection. A grace period of 24 hours before donation would allow families to claim those whom they wish to bury. Proponents of the bill argued that it ensured that criminals and the poor will make some returns to those whom they have burdened by their wants or injured by their crimes and would further prevent body snatching. Protests against the bill took place in poorer areas in the city and an anti-bill banner was included in the New York City St. Patrick's Day Parade. The bill saw extensive debate in the legislature and in the media of the time. It was eventually passed by a single vote and made law on the 3rd of April, 1854. Outcomes of the bill were mixed. It succeeded in making more cadavers available for dissection, and the incidence of body snatching did decline, but enforcement was uneven, leaving poor people and minorities vulnerable. Commerce in bodies, as well as anatomy scandals, continued for the next several decades. That means that, despite the new legislation, bodies were still stolen and sold illegally. The way the law was enforced was unfair, 
there, which is a problem that is way too common in law enforcement. Anatomy scandals continued despite the legislation. Things might have gotten a little better, but the new law was not the saving grace that some thought it would be. Before doing research for this episode, I did not know that body snatching was such a problem in American history. The shift from herbal medicine to modern medicine was rife with misinformation and outright abuse. I am horrified to read that upstanding members of the medical community were engaged in such unethical practices. And unfortunately, black people and poor people bore the brunt of the abuse and exploitation with no recourse. The bone bill in the history of eclectic medicine are not directly related to echinacea as an herbal medicine, but I think it is important to have a general understanding of the history of medicine and healing. We have so much respect for modern medicine, and I am truly shocked by some of the early practices. Apparently, ethical standards have come a long way in the last 100 years, and in the process, echinacea has been forgotten and remembered by the medical community. I want to dive a little more deeply into body snatching in the United States, because I think it's an important part of medical history in the United States. In the United States, body snatchers generally worked in small groups which scouted and pillaged fresh graves. Fresh graves were generally given preference since the earth had not yet settled, thus making digging easier work. The removed earth was often shoveled onto a canvas tarp laid by the grave so the nearby grounds were undisturbed. Digging commenced at the head of the grave, clear to the coffin. The remaining earth on the coffin provided a counterweight which snapped the partially covered coffin lid, which was covered in sacking to muffle the noise, as crowbars or hooks pulled the lid free at the head of the coffin. Usually the body would be disrobed, the garments thrown back into the coffin before the earth was put back into place. Resurrectionists have also been known to hire women to act the part of grieving relatives and to claim the bodies of dead at poorhouses. Women were also hired to attend funerals as grieving mourners. Their purpose was to ascertain any hardships the body snatchers may later encounter during the disinterment. Bribed servants would sometimes offer body snatchers access to their dead masters or mistress lying in state. The removed body would be replaced with weights. Medical schools in Philadelphia, Baltimore, and New York were renowned for body snatching activity. All of those locations provided plenty of cadavers. Finding subjects for dissection proved to be morally troubling for students of anatomy. As late as the mid-19th century, John Gorham Coffin, a prominent, aptly named professor and medical physician, wondered how any ethical physician could participate in the traffic of dead bodies. Charles Knowlton, who lived from 1800 to 1850, was imprisoned for two months in the Worcester, Massachusetts County Jail for illegal dissection in 1824, a couple of months after graduating with distinction from Dartmouth Medical School. His thesis defended dissection on the rationalist basis that value of any art or science should be determined by the tendency it has to increase the happiness or to diminish the misery of mankind. Knowlton called for doctors to relieve public prejudice by donating their own bodies for dissection. The body of Ohio Congressman John Scott Harrison, son of William Henry Harrison, was snatched in 1878 for Ohio Medical College and discovered by his son, John Harrison, brother of President Benjamin Harrison. Large 
gated, centralized cemeteries, which sometimes employed armed guards, emerged as a response to grave robbing fears. Gated, high security cemeteries were also a response to the discovery that many old, urban, and rural burial grounds were found to be practically empty of their human contents when downtown areas were redeveloped and old pioneer cemeteries moved, as in Indianapolis. Let's get into how body snatching related directly to medical schools in the United States. So the demand for cadavers for human dissection grew as medical schools were established in the United States. Between the years of 1758 and 1788, only 63 of the 3,500 physicians in the colonies had studied abroad, namely at the University of Edinburgh Medical School. Study of anatomy legitimized the medical field, setting it apart from homeopathic and botanical studies. Later, in 1847, physicians formed the American Medical Association in an effort to differentiate between the true science of medicine and the assumptions of ignorance and empiricism based on an education without the experience of human dissection. In 1762, John Morgan and William Shippen Jr. founded the medical department of the University of Pennsylvania. Shippen put an advertisement in the Pennsylvania Gazette in November 1762 announcing his lectures about the art of dissecting, injections, etc. In 1765, his house was attacked by a mob claiming the doctor had desecrated a church burying ground. The doctor denied this and made known that he only used bodies of suicides, executed felons, and now and then one from the potter's field. In Boston, medical students faced similar issues with procuring subjects for dissection. In his biographical notes, John Collins Warren Jr. wrote, No occurrences in the course of my life have given me more trouble and anxiety than the procuring of subjects for dissection. He continues to tell of the difficulty his father John Warren had finding subjects during the Revolutionary War. Many soldiers who had died were without relation. These experiences gave John Warren the experience he needed to begin his lectures in anatomy in 1781. His advertisement in the local paper stated the following, A course of lectures will be delivered this winter upon the several branches of physic for the improvement of all such as are desirous of obtaining medical knowledge. Those who propose attending are requested to make application as soon as possible as the course will commence in a few days. It was dated and signed, Boston, January 1st, 1781, John Warren, Secretary of Medical Society. John Warren and his friends had created a secret anatomic society. This society's purpose was to participate in anatomic dissection. Using cadavers that they themselves procured, the group's name was the Spunkers. However, speaking or writing the name was prohibited. Often the group used shovels to obtain fresh corpses for its anatomical study. Harvard Medical School was established on November 22, 1782. John Warren was elected professor of anatomy and surgery. When his son was in the college in 1796, the peaceful times provided few subjects. John Collins Warren Jr. wrote, Having understood that a man without relations was to be buried in the North Burying Ground, I formed a party. When my father came up in the morning to lecture and found that I had been engaged in this 
scrape, he was very much alarmed. John Warren's quest for subjects led him to consult with his colleague, W.E. Horner, professor of anatomy at University of Pennsylvania, who wrote back, Since the opening of our lectures, the town has been so uncommonly healthy that I have not been able to obtain a fourth part of subjects required for our dissecting rooms. Warren later enlisted the help of an old family friend, John Revere son of Paul Revere, to procure subjects for dissection. Revere called upon John Godman, who suggested that Warren employ the services of James Henderson, a trusty old friend and servant, who could at any time and almost to any number obtain the articles you desire. Warren attempted to set up a cadaver provision system in Boston, similar to the systems already set up in New York and Philadelphia. Public officials and burial ground employees were routinely bribed for entrance to Potter's Field to get bodies. In New York, the bodies were divided into two groupings. One group contained the bodies of those most entitled to respect or most likely to be called for by friends. The other bodies were not exempt from exhumation. In Philadelphia's two public burying grounds, anatomists claimed bodies regularly without consideration. If schools or physicians differed over who should get an allotment of bodies, the dispute was settled by the a high-reaching conspiracy that resulted in a harvest of about 450 bodies per school year. Now let's talk about race and body snatching. So public graveyards were not only arranged by social and economic standing, but also by race. New York was 15% black in the 1780s. Bailey's dissecting tables, as well as those of Columbia College, often took bodies from the segregated section of Potter's Field. The Negroes burying ground. Free blacks as well as slaves were buried there. In February 1787, a group of free blacks petitioned the city's common council about the medical students who, under the cover of night, dig up the bodies of the deceased, friends, and relatives of the petitioners, carrying them away without respect to age or sex, mangle their flesh out of wanton curiosity, and then expose it to the beasts and birds. In the antebellum American South, bodies of enslaved workers were routinely used for anatomical study. In one case that has been studied, 80% of the corpses dissected at Transylvania University in the 1830s and 1840s were African American. The ready availability of such bodies was cited as an incentive to enroll by Southern medical schools, such as the Medical College of South Carolina. According to Hampton Sydney in Richmond, Virginia, from the peculiarity of of our institutions, slavery, materials, anatomical subjects, can be obtained in abundance, are not surpassed if equaled by any city in the country. So again, this was a quote by Hampton Sydney in Richmond, Virginia. And they said, from the peculiarity of our institutions, by which they're talking about slavery, from the fact that they have slavery in Virginia, materials, meaning the bodies of enslaved people, can be obtained in abundance, and they believe that they are not surpassed or equaled by any city in the country. I'm sorry, just let that sink for a moment. That is so disgusting. I'll go on. The bodies of criminals about to be executed were routinely requested of authorities for this purpose. After John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry, Virginia, the University of Virginia and Winchester Medical College both requested the cadavers of those about to be hanged. Four people, three black people, Shields Green, John Anthony Copeland Jr., and Jeremiah Anderson, 
and one white person, John Brown's son, Watson Brown, were obtained by the latter college. So the two colleges that wanted their bodies, that requested their bodies, even before they were executed, were the University of Virginia and Winchester Medical College. And ultimately, Winchester Medical College got their bodies. In retaliation, Union troops burned Winchester Medical College in 1862. It was never reopened. In December 1882, it was discovered that six bodies had been disinterred from Lebanon Cemetery and were en route to Jefferson Medical College for dissection. Philadelphia's African Americans were outraged, and a crowd assembled at the city morgue where the discovered bodies had been sent. Reportedly, one of the crowd urged the group to swear that they would seek revenge for those who participated in desecration of the graves. Another man screamed when he discovered the body of his 29-year-old brother. The Philadelphia press broke the story when a teary elderly woman identified her husband's body, whose burial she had afforded only by begging for the $22 at the wharves where he had been employed. Physician William S. Forbes was indicted, and the case led to passage of various anatomical acts. After the public hanging of 39 Dakota warriors in the aftermath of the Dakota War of 1862, a group of doctors removed the bodies under cover of darkness from their riverside grave, and each took some for himself. Dr. William Rural Mayo received the body of a warrior called Cutnose and dissected it in the presence of other doctors. He then cleaned and articulated the skeleton and kept the bones in an iron kettle in his office. His sons received their first lessons in osteology from this skeleton. I am horrified that this is part of the history of medicine in America. I am horrified. Now let's talk a little bit about the public outcry. On February 21st, 1788, a body of a woman was taken from Trinity Church. A $100 reward was offered by the rector of the church for information leading to the arrest of grave robbers. In the Daily Advertiser, many editorial letters were written about the incident. One such writer named Humanio warned that lives may be forfeit should the body snatchers persist. There was cause for concern. Body snatching was perceived to be a daily occurrence. To assuage the outraged public, legislation was enacted to thwart the activities of body snatchers. Eventually, anatomy acts such as Massachusetts Anatomy Act of 1831 allowed for the legalization of anatomy studies. Prior to these measures, Allowing for more subjects, many tactics were employed to protect the bodies of relatives. Police were engaged to watch the burying grounds, but were often bribed or made drunk. Spring guns were set in the coffins, and poorer families would leave items like a stone or a blade of grass or a shell to show whether the grave was tampered with or not. In his collection of Boston Police Force details, Edward Savage made notes of a reward offer on April 13, 1814. The selectmen offer $100 reward for arrest of grave robbers at South Burying Ground. Iron fences were constructed around many burying grounds as a deterrent to body snatchers. Burglar-proof grave vaults made of steel were sold with the promise that loved ones' remains would not be one of the 40,000 bodies mutilated every year on dissecting tables in medical colleges in the United States. The medical appropriation of bodies aroused much popular resentment. Between 1765 and 1884, there were at least 
25 documented crowd actions against American medical schools. Despite these efforts, body snatchers persisted. At the City Hospital in New York on April 13, 1788, a group of boys playing near the dissection room window peered in. Accounts vary, but one of the boys saw what he thought were his mother's remains or that one of the students shook a dismembered arm at the boys. The boy, whose mother had recently died, told his father of the occurrence. The father, a mason, led a group of laborers in an attack on the hospital, known as the Doctor's Riot. In order to control the destruction of private property, the authorities participated in searches of local physicians' houses for medical students, professors, and stolen corpses. The mob was satisfied. Later, the mob reassembled to attack the jail where some of the medical students were being held for their safety. The militia was called, but few showed. This was perhaps due to the militia sharing the public's outrage. One small troop was harassed and quickly withdrew. Several prominent citizens, including Governor George Clinton, General Baron von Steuben, and John Jay, participated in the ranks of the militia protecting the doctors at the jail. Three rioters were killed when the embattled militia opened fire on the mob, and when militia members from the countryside joined the defense, the mob threat quickly dissipated. So it looks like even though the mob was initially satisfied that the authorities were searching houses for bodies and for medical students and professors, after that they were angry again and they just wanted blood and they attacked the jail. Three people from the mob were killed and then they backed down. This was definitely a very, very heavy episode. Injustice just bothers me to my core. And I know here this is talking about injustice in history, but the fact that it just always seems to target the most vulnerable people is just infuriating. Native Americans and enslaved black people and poor people and prisoners, it's always the most vulnerable people in society who are just taken advantage of in the worst ways. And this is just an example of the way marginalized people's bodies are abused. I mean, I can't even imagine if that part of the story is true. Being a kid whose mom passed away and thinking that you see medical students dissecting her body, like that is horrifying beyond belief. And I'm sure that sense of horror was brought upon anybody whose loved one was taken by these body snatchers. And to think of the way we view medical students and the entire medical community was such honor and such respect and to know that this is the history of that practice that it is rooted in such callous disregard for people how can a practice that is supposed to be all about healing all about making people better how can it be rooted in such callous disregard for the very people that you're supposed to be making better ultimately those physicians were scientists first. They were not healers. They were scientists. They were only interested in curing illnesses. They did not really seem to care about people overall. And that may have persisted to some extent, like when we talk about bedside manner, when we talk about certain doctors who are 
good at what they do, but not so good at relating to their patients. And then when we think about surgeons specifically and the work that they have to do, you have to be somewhat detached because if you're too empathetic, you're not going to be able to cut into people, especially in the days before anesthesia, when you had to cut into a person who was screaming and writhing in pain. You have to be a certain kind of person to be able to do that. And I think I'm going to stop right there and not go down that road anymore. But thank you so much for listening. I hope you listen to something more positive after this because this was heavy and dark. But I love you guys so much. I hope everyone is well. And I will be back very soon with an episode on echinacea and all positivity and light. Wishing you the best. Goodbye.